our students when they leave K-12 hold, and it's those problem-solving skills, those uh, skills to be able to take concepts and put them together in multiple different ways. So it's really how do we think? How do we learn? How do we learn to learn? Welcome to Learning Unboxed, a conversation about teaching, learning, and the future of work. This is Annalise Corbin, Chief Goddess of the Past Foundation and your host. We hear frequently that the global education system is broken. In fact, we spend billions of dollars trying to fix something that's actually not broken at all, but rather irrelevant. It's obsolete. A hundred years ago, it functioned fine. So let's talk about how we reimagine, rethink, and redesign our educational system. So welcome to Learning Unboxed. We're very excited today uh, to talk about energy and workforce development and what's going on um, in the world of energy education. So I'm thrilled today to be able to um, have with us uh, Ryan Prestel, who is the founder and CEO of JTRAC, a Columbus, Ohio-based energy monitoring entity. Uh, Ryan's going to explain it in great detail, so I'm not going to run down that road with all of our listeners. Um, But just a little bit of background as it relates to how and why we know Ryan um, at the PAST Foundation and the PAST Innovation Lab, and we're so excited about the work that we're all doing together. Uh, Ryan is a self-professed lifelong entrepreneur with an affinity for using technology to solve complex business problems and a lot of work that he's done over the years in sustainability that ultimately landed him to co-founding JTRAC, and we'll talk about that in a moment. So Ryan, we're excited. Excited to have you here. Thank you for having me. Excellent. And joining us on the flip side of this really amazing um, project called Energy for Learning is Kat Diener. Kat Diener is Past Foundation's very own Director of School Design and Online Learning, um, who has been with us for a number of years. She leads all the efforts associated with school transformation projects as it relates to teacher professional development, thinking about classrooms differently, and really, really thinking about where the opportunity is in Next Generation Teaching, Learning, and the Future of Work. So Kat, very excited to have you with us as well. Thank you for having me. So as we get started, as I alluded to, the project that we're going to talk about today is something called Energy for Learning. And I want to start our conversation with you, Kat. If you could give us the 70,000-foot view of what Energy for Learning is, and we'll get into the details as we go along, but I want to set the context um, for our listeners real quick. All of the projects and the programs that we are bringing to Learning on Box are intended to be case studies of great things that have worked, uh, lessons that we've learned along the way, and opportunities for other communities to do similar things as they think about education. So Kat, what is Energy for Learning? Energy for Learning is a really exciting new project that we've started uh, in partnership with with JTRAC. And what it does is it takes buildings, uh, school buildings, and it uses the school buildings as a learning tool so that as students are engaged in problem-based learning, they can actually use their buildings as real data comes in from the JTRAC monitoring system to solve problems around energy conservation in their classroom. Uh, So they're taking, the idea here is that teachers and students alike are taking the information from JTRAC and integrating it into the learning experience directly into the classroom. 
Awesome. Very exciting and definitely needed uh, in terms of, of preparing future workers. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So Ryan, give give our listeners um, a sense of what what exactly is Jade Track? And I, and I want to step back just a moment. And also, as you're explaining what Jade Track is, what it does, why you started that? Because I think that plays in um, beautifully to some of the premises behind the project. Yeah, so we're big believers in starting with why. So maybe I'll go with that and uh, maybe give you the background on how we got here today. So uh, if you rewind back to 2010, 2011, I was in supply chain for Scott's Miracle Grow. Uh, Scott's is the leader in lawn and garden. Mm-hmm. So they have an inherent interest in the environment. And back in 2010, uh, they were struggling with this sustainability problem. Well, what is it? What does it mean? Mm-hmm. What does it mean to our organization? How do you measure it? And so at the time, and even still today, there wasn't any great technology or software available to help them quantify waste, water, energy, and emissions. Mm-hmm. And so our technology was developed inside of Scott's, helped them uh, quantify their carbon footprint, how much they're using as it relates to energy and water. Uh, and they were able to publish their very first sustainability report in 2012. So what was really interesting in all of that is, uh, again, saw an opportunity where you know technology needs were not being met. And uh, I had the opportunity to build some software inside of the organization. And they were uh, fortunate. We were fortunate enough to retain the intellectual property. So uh, after I had left the company and it was 2011, uh, we worked nights and weekends to uh, commercialize what was an initially very Scots-centric product uh, and try to take it to market, recognizing that there's a lot of other organizations out there that are trying to quantify the impact from their sustainability programs. So... You know, impact means, you know, financial, social, and environmental. And so, you know, whether you're an organization looking to publish a sustainability report that says how much waste, how much carbon, how much energy you use, uh, or you're an organization that, you know, like Olin Sanji Schools that initially deployed the technology to try and save money, mm-hmm. um, you know, the, the solution is really intended to help check those boxes financially, socially, and environmentally. So, you know, when you look at kind of what we do and why we do it, you know, our vision and our mission is to help empower customers to create those lasting impacts. So reduce costs, operate your facilities, get people involved in a program, in a process around energy conservation, sustainability. And then obviously the environmental impacts are, you know, more and more important as every day goes by. And so some organizations lead with that environmental piece. Others look at it as a nice to have and an additional benefit. Uh, But at the end of the day, you can capture financially, socially, and environmentally benefit from using our technology. So what it is, piece of software that helps you gather all this data, helps you quantify, you know, things like energy usage Mm -hmm. in a building, Mm -hmm. water consumption, et cetera. Uh, and then be able to put that information into the play into play so that organizations can capture some of those outcomes. Absolutely. And and Kat, that's that's the beauty of what JTrack has to offer is it's real, right? And so Absolutely. so couch couch the the opportunity that is having a school building being fully energy uh, monitored through a JTrack system. And and how does that then translate into the work that you do and why? So, you know, school gets this amazing technology, but so what if we're not using it as an actual teaching tool? So that's where you come in. So what does that look like? Absolutely. So our work that we do with teachers and administrators is looking at how do we involve and engage our students in relevant learning opportunities around solving real-world problems. That's where problem-based learning comes in. Mm-hmm. So oftentimes what we do is we look around our community and say, okay, what's a, what are some issues 
or um, problems that we can solve. And we put our problem-solving skills to use, our design thinking skills uh, to use to solve these real-world problems. What the beauty of JTRAC is, is that JTRAC is providing data that is real world and real in the building. How much real can you get yeah. in that to solve to, to solve a problem around energy conservation and sustainability? Mm-hmm. So what a wonderful opportunity for teachers and students to use the building in a way that they can solve the very problem that JTRAC is, 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 is looking to help uh, customers solve. So we're actually including students in the process of how do we reduce our carbon footprint? How as a building, how as a community within the school, can we change our habits uh, perhaps in a way that we can reduce our energy? Well, in order to be able to think about what are some behavior or habit modifications, we need to be able to look at the data and where, what are, where are we now? And how do we change our behavior? And then, then it, did it did it do something right? Mm-hmm. So the Jade Track data is uh, allowing students in the classroom to solve real world problems within their individual buildings and classrooms. And the hope is is that they take those skills and they propagate them out into the world. So we're starting close to home within the classroom, the mm-hmm. the classroom being the home and the school, and then we can start to. Uh, utilize these skills into other applications. And so that's a that's a fabulous segue to think about ultimately what happens here. And, and it really gets to the foundational piece of the why for all the time, the expense, the effort. And so Ryan, the, the, the bottom line why here is that we have a serious workforce gap when it relates to the energy sectors broadly, right? And sustainability um, on a global scale, environmental, social, you take your pick. Um, but the reality is we, we have a workforce crisis um, not just in this country, but other parts of the world as well. And so ultimately, the work of getting and using um, you know, energy knowledge and education, the backside of that is it's going to translate into folks who want to go into that as a career. So you know, as on that side of the equation, where do you really where do, where do you see the the greatest need from the workforce piece? Yeah, I think going back to my days in schooling, um, I got the most out of the experiences where we were actually hands-on doing things. Mm-hmm. And so I think back to my seventh grade uh, social studies teacher who at Dublin schools ran a business simulation for the entire duration of the year that was focused around the curriculum that we needed to learn. And that was one of those things where it was like, wow, I really got into this. It kind of set mm-hmm. the tone for being an entrepreneur and all of that sort of thing. So I think you know we recognize and I recognized um, that there's not enough of those experiential learning opportunities. And I think that there's so many kids that go to school uh, and they sit in a classroom with a teacher that says, open up page 35. I want you to read the first paragraph. And we go around the room and do that. It's not a great way to learn. And so I think that there's <laughs> ways that we can start applying. It's a terrible world. way to learn, it's, by it's the way. It's a terrible way to learn. <laughs> Um, We're just going to put that out there. It's a terrible way to learn. And, and <laughs> We're going to vote no. Vote no, yes. So we uh, we saw this as an opportunity to not only you know educate students about the importance of conservation, about the importance of you know uh, things that they inherently care about. I mean, they're intrinsically motivated by the environmental things, you know, versus some of the older folks that may not be as motivated mm-hmm. by those. What was great is that you check all those boxes so you can connect with people at all levels. And I think that, again, doing things in a real world experience kind of enables them to understand the ins and outs of it mm-hmm. and whether that be something they want to pursue as a career. So, you know, what we look at and deal with every day is the data. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, there's articles out there 
that talk about just how important and valuable that data is. Mm-hmm. And so thinking about careers that don't even exist today, right, uh, right. data analysis around energy sustainability, they're, they're there, but they're not very well developed. So mm-hmm. I think that we're going to continue to see more and more in that sphere. Uh, and these types of programs are going to help enable kids to understand the benefits of, you know, starting a career in that type of space. And they're also going to help um, students really sort of see the connections across industries as yep. well. And that's one of the things that I really, truly love. We, um, for our listeners who who haven't been uh, to the Past Innovation Lab or are taking a look at it online, we have uh, an energy learning lab there. Um, and the premise of the program, and it's evolving. And, you know, one of the things that I love about it is that the students who participate in a, in a pathway lens around energy are going to learn as much about technology, you know, skills, computer coding as the students who are in the design lab, which is all about manufacturing and engineering. And, and you know, that translates back um, into bodies, which, um, you know, is healthcare, but, you know, there's still coding, there's still cybersecurity, that there are so many Kevlar threads, if you will, um, as it relates to potential careers that run through a variety of career options, right, um, in those lenses. And that's a really, really critical thing because we tend to box people into a single space. Yet the work that somebody who comes to work at JTRAC could be doing could be doing in lots of different places and lots of different industries. Yep. So, you know, your, your point, you, you, you started this uh, inside of Scott's, right? Which is a very different company yep. than traditional energy provider. So that helps um, with, with some of the context pieces. And I think that the other thing we want to make sure that we don't lose sight of is there are other partners here. So there's actually... an energy company in the more traditional sense of people will think about energy that yep. are actually standing behind this. You know, um, IGS um, Energy has come to the table not just to provide funding, but also to push the lever of the workforce development piece. And then added to that is a school partner, a variety of school partners um, as we move through. So Kat, a little bit about where that intersection is because you've had to tailor this program as a pilot and you're training for schools and teachers with those other two user needs in mind. So what does that look like? Absolutely. There's a lot of power when we bring multiple partners to the table. Mm -hmm. And uh, what we do at PAST is really how do we bridge those and make those connections? Uh, And so if we have multiple partners at the table, we start to identify what assets do each of the partners bring to the table and how can we then play off of those and use those uh, to build a really good program ultimately so that students have these learning opportunities that they're able to take these skills out into the workforce. Mm -hmm. So if we start to think about all of the partners at the table, we've been able to leverage um, expertise from IGS. We've been able to leverage... um, the expertise at JTRAC, bringing in uh, their expertise in energy monitoring uh, and just energy conservation. IGS has been a wonderful partner to your point, uh, Annalise, in, in not just funding, but uh, lending uh, their expertise in what does this look like when we think about what are real-world problems that IGS is solving? What's in the future? And how can we bring that into the classroom as a real relevant learning opportunity? Uh, so as we've been piloting this um, in the schools with educators, we're able to ask educators, what does it look like in the classroom? Mm-hmm. Um, how are, can you use this data that, uh, that could drive learning and deeper learning? Mm-hmm. So really working with all of the different multiple partners at the table to figure out how can we come together and figure out the best system to to move this forward to to provide um, opportunities for for students. And it looks very different from the kindergarten classroom Mm -hmm. 
to the 12th grade classroom or post-secondary. And so looking at that, getting making sure that we're able to get feedback and work collaboratively with educators around what do learning modules look like in the classroom mm-hmm. when we start to utilize uh, real-world monitoring, right? yeah. real-time monitor- energy monitoring. And, and so just to be clear, because I think that one of the things that you just said might throw some folks, right? So you are implying right? That this project and this program and the work that you and Ryan and IGS, our school partners are doing together is 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 broad and can actually be applied K-12. It's not just a high school thing. Only high school kids can study energy? No way. No. No way. No No way. No way. So so literally you're taking a set of content experts, the the folks who are coming in, for example, from IGS, and you're sitting down with them, you're asking them what are the wicked problems they're working on, and then you are translating that as a team um, into tangible things that a kindergarten, a third grade, a fifth grade, uh, a a tenth grade classroom teacher school can actually utilize as the launching point to do what? Either of you jump in. Yeah, so I mean, I'm happy to take that. So, you know, one of the things that we saw early on was that, you know, even at call it the elementary school level, you know, the the material may be a little bit different, but the interest and the excitement around the topics are very much the same. And so we would do these, you know, energy 101 classes where we'd go into an elementary school and sit with, you know, first, second, third graders and talk about, well, what's LED lighting, what's, Mm -hmm. you know, this and that, you know, basically talk through all the details about what is energy. And it was great as we did one of these early on, I got a phone call from a former colleague that her third grade daughter was in that class and immediately came home and started asking parents about, well, do we have LED lighting? Do we do these things at home? You know, what does our energy bill look like? And so, you know, the curiosity was Mm -hmm. very much there even at the third grade level. When you go up to the high school level, they have an opportunity to actually make change and to Mm -hmm. influence their peers. And so, one of the kind of very telling uh, stories that came out of this early on was also in the high school level in that we uh, we encouraged the students to go out and find a problem mm-hmm. across the high school, across the community. And one of the problems that they identified at the high school level was that the uh, the females would use the restroom. And when they'd go into the restroom, they would turn on all the hand dryers in that restroom as a way to create white noise for themselves in the restroom. <laughs> And one of the things that came interesting out of that is, you know, they were like, well, this probably isn't very sustainable. So one of the <laughs> students went into the, the restrooms, counted how many hand dryers they had across the high school, quantified how many watts they used, and was able to educate their peers on every time you push that button, you emit this much carbon into the atmosphere. Mm-hmm. So the thing there that was different was that, you know, they weren't necessarily talking about the energy, but the byproduct of right. the energy. Right. And, and behavior. And they the were behavior. talking about behavior, behavior because, as I recall from the first time I heard you tell that story, the girls would go into the bathroom and turn them all on. Mm-hmm. And it, when they would leave, because there were other people in there, if they had shut off, they'd turn them all back on. Yep. So there was a culture of the school yep. that says, we must have white noise so we, you, you, we can't hear each other doing our thing, right? And that somehow that was a good thing to do. And you can send engineers through buildings all day long and kind of thinking about traditional uh-huh. energy management in schools in particular. Right. It's engineers and facilities managers yeah. and administrators are part of the program. Well, right. you're not evaluating what the behavior in those buildings are, exactly. the variables exactly. in those buildings, so to speak. You're never going to see things like that and identify things like that. So, you know, our whole belief is that if you engage the, you know, the people that are in those buildings uh, with things that they're interested in, mm-hmm. they're going to do the rest. They're going to take their initiative and they're going to find ways to solve those problems. 
But when we put data and information into mm-hmm. a black hole, which is how we've done energy management for years, mm-hmm. we often omit the the opportunity that comes with the, the people that are actually using those facilities. So uh, data for the sake of data, we know is worthless. Data in a black hole is worthless. Mm-hmm. And so we're a big believer in how we can bring that out into the open and get people excited about a common cause. And, and that is the thing that I'll, I, from the get-go, I loved, loved, loved about the potential of this project. And I, I would like to close that little uh, vignette, if you will, with the the outcome was not only did they stop that behavior in the school, but one of the mechanisms was that they created their own school-wide PSA, yep. right? Which which we got to see, which was a lot of fun. Um, these girls explaining to other girls why this is really unnecessary yep. behavior that's wasteful and, and damaging to the earth. And so the the, the scope and scale of that scenario, cat, in terms of the learning that was possible. And I think that's a perfect example of the way that you integrate and the thing that you're teaching in the teacher professional development component of all this is that was more than just earth science at play. And that was more than just energy data. At the end of the day, by the time they completed um, that 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 social effort um, and energy effort at the school, they had hit on so many different standards and opportunity. So talk about that as that integrated Absolutely. chance, like you said, that that opportunity, Ryan. Absolutely. Um, that's a wonderful example. How do you solve a real world problem using multiple content lenses, exactly. right? So as those the, the girls were solving for that problem, they weren't just doing math and they weren't coming over here and then just doing earth science. They had to integrate all of their knowledge into solving this problem using uh, English language arts. So how do I communicate what mm-hmm. I find? How do I take the data that is in front of me and how do I interpret it in a way that a user, an end user might be able to understand? Mm-hmm. So again, that goes back to the, the English language arts. Right. Um, how do I do it in a way that is going to be, uh, how do we say, um, consumed in a, right. in a way that is um, entertaining? Or in a way that's uh, that the end user would actually understand, and so the the these young girls started to pull together a video. Right, right? that's a great use of media. So here we have been able to take all of these concepts and put them together to solve a problem and then to be able to communicate it out. That's exactly what mm-hmm. applied mm-hmm. learning and problem-based learning a- a- achieves. Right. So you take a real-world problem and you put in all of your experience, all of your content lenses together in a very transdisciplinary way and you're able to solve the problem. Um, so if we talk about going back to our workforce development piece, mm-hmm. these are exactly the skills that we hear over and over again from industry. What skills that they want to have our students when they leave K-12 hold, and it's those problem-solving skills, those uh, skills to be able to take concepts and put them together in multiple different ways. So it's really how do we think? How do we learn? How do we learn to learn? Uh, And this example that we're, we're using is a wonderful example of just that. How do we take all of these ideas, put them together in a coherent way, and solve a problem? 
Right. And so what what are some of the the wicked problems? So, for example, when because you did you very deliberately had folks from Jade Track and folks from IGS, actual practitioners across the, the, the breadth of what these two companies together represent, participate in your actual teacher professional development in, in workshops and in visioning sessions. And so what what did you hear, Kat? I mean, what 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 are what are folks working on that the teachers grabbed onto and then started building modules for their school and their classroom? So just toss out a couple of the topics that you think resonated the most. Certainly, uh, one of the biggest ones that resonated the most was how do we lower our carbon footprint? Right. And, and, and Ryan alluded to that earlier, that the skills that students are learning in the classroom, they can then come back home and educate their family. Mm-hmm. So one of the units uh, that was very successful was how do we lower our carbon footprint? And the students were able to come up with a PSA or a um, really an informational sheet of these are behavior practices that we can modify not only at school, but at home. So that was one, uh, one unit that was really successful. And part of that too was not only just behavior, but what are those, infra- those low-cost infrastructure mm-hmm. changes that they can do? So do we change our light bulbs at home? Right, can right, we do that mom right. and dad? Right. Um, that's a great one. Uh, another unit that they looked at was the efficiency of solar panels. So part mm-hmm. of the JTAC monitoring system is to be able to pull out what are those, uh, what kind of energy are we able to absorb from the sun and and convert it into energy, I guess. So solar radiation and convert it into energy. So there was a whole unit around the cleanly, does the cleanliness of our solar panels matter? And so Mm -hmm. they went down a whole, uh, did a whole unit around that, the cleanliness of our solar panels, and they were able to actually design different mechanisms to be able to to clean the solar panels and they were able to use the data to see if it made a difference or not. And does it, Ryan? Does it make a difference? I think it does. <laughs> you get a dirty yes. solar panel, it's definitely not going to generate as much energy. No, yeah, slightly. It made a slightly a different impact, but but we know that one wicked problem right. typically creates multiple other problems to actually solve for. So from that, they were able to say, okay, well, it just did slightly, but how could we better capture the uh, the solar radiation coming out? Mm-hmm. So they were then they spun off into. What are the angles of the solar panels right, that we have right, right now? Do right. we need to modify those? So those are just two examples that uh, that we were just able to uh, help educators uh, create and then implement this last year. Mm-hmm. And the students were so engaged because it was right there in front of them. It was not this data that's out there that's tangent or uh, um, uh, I guess abstract. Right. It was right there in front of them. It was their building, their solar panels. They could go and look at it. Right. Right. So it was, it was real and it was relevant. So how does that then translate? Let's let's talk about energy for learning in particular now. And so Ryan, walk us through a little bit. So you, JTrack had you know a standard monitoring uh, package, as you said, the software. And so you know the the project here is how do we then take what it is that you're already doing, and how do you take the opportunity and the excitement of wanting to incorporate you know energy and and energy lessons and, and uh, education specifically in into the day-to-day use inside of schools, um, into a mechanism that's going to have broad accessibility and appeal. So let's talk about energy for learning in terms of what what it incorporates and the portal in particular and why. So why don't you lead on that a minute with us? 
Yeah. So looking at, you know, energy and how you conserve it, you know, the measurement piece is so important, right? And so everybody is looking for ways to operate facilities more efficiently, whether it's to reduce costs or to improve their environmental footprint. And so the measurement piece is fundamental to it all. And I think that, you know, one of the comments that Kat made a minute ago about it, just the applicability to so many different spheres. I, I think, you know, when you look at some of this information, we can translate energy into carbon, we can translate energy into dollars. We can do so many different things that you're just basically, you know, converting that, you know, basis information into something that's meaningful for certain individuals. So, including our, Big Macs and chicken nuggets. Big nuggets if I was I just going to get to right? that, right? Yeah. So, you know, kilowatt <laughs> stole hours, your thunder, right? Sorry. Yeah. So, you know, being able to make it meaningful regardless of where you're at and uh, and your knowledge of you know the subject. So, we can take you know. Uh, energy and we can turn it into calories and we can mm-hmm. say that's the equivalent of X number of McDonald's chicken nuggets. Right. Very, very relevant for students, right? Yeah. So, you know, we saw that there was an opportunity to do a whole lot more with this information. So you go back to our first school customer, uh, the administrators that we were in there initially talking to had no clue what we were talking right, about, you know, right. five, six, seven years ago. <laughs> but the minute that you saw one of the science teachers light up with the information that we could provide and what they could do with it in the classroom, it was very exciting because, again, they're translating that stuff into things that's meaningful for them. But at the end of the day, it all goes back to dollars and cents, mm-hmm. which in, mm-hmm. impacts the district, makes the administrators happy, makes the taxpayers happy. Everybody wins. Mm-hmm. Uh, but we need to find ways to motivate people. And I think that we found that this was a way to motivate people intrinsically by things that they already care about. So if you translate this information and make it fun, make it relevant, make it meaningful for students, think about how many students go into a school building every day. Some of our larger districts here, that's thousands, tens yeah. of thousands. Yeah. Those are a lot of variables. Mm-hmm. So you needed to you know, connect with those folks and just talking about kilowatt hours and dollars and cents wasn't going to do that. So we needed to find a way to wrap some interesting things around it and get them to you know, use their problem solving skills to drive some of these actions. So you know, the portal itself was, uh, was pretty easy for us to be able to take from a very operational tool mm-hmm. to an operational plus educational tool. Mm-hmm. And that's one of the big ways that we're different from a lot of the other energy solutions out there is that the engagement piece in what we do is so critical. So whether we're engaging students, administrators, the taxpayers, you know, you can translate that information in a variety of ways. You can, you know, reach them with the information that's meaningful to them. So the right information to the right person at the right time Mm -hmm. uh, is one of the things that we're able to do with this and make it meaningful for a variety of audiences. Right. And just for transparency for our listeners, um, the Energy for Learning Portal is a... um, uh, a partnership project between the Past Foundation and Innovation Lab, uh, Jade Track, and IGS Energy. And it's out and it's available. And in the resources um, online when this podcast airs, uh, you'll be able to go and find the URL and go take a look at it. And so this isn't a, a sales pitch, but the program and the monitoring and the opportunity to engage in that, all of that is available just by reaching out. And those resources will be uh, provided for you as well if, for folks that are interested. So Kat, tell us, walk us through a little bit of the features because we f- to make this truly user friendly to come back to to Ryan's language um, in a school setting specifically uh, both for teachers and ultimately for students what there were key components that you you needed built into this so it would be effective for teachers and so talk a little bit about between the two of you so when I go there what do I see and what can I do 
Absolutely. So when you go to the portal itself, you will be able or you can log in and see your building and all of the energy usage over time. So there are a number of different options that you're able to go in and see, okay, what was my energy usage yesterday? What is it today? What was it a month ago? Um, So you're able to look at uh, usage over time. The other a feature within Energy for Learning is that it's a, a network of shared uh, with shared educators across the country, so you can share different units. So we've just uh, brought to the table a few different uh, examples. Well, this portal provides a number of other examples that you as an educator can go in and say, oh, that's a great idea. You can start to look at other learning ideas or Mm -hmm. learning units that you can implement in your classroom. So the portal does a number of things. It actually provides the data that, that your school is there. You're able to also look at other schools to compare if that's what part of your uh, your desired learning um, is to look at other schools. Um, you're able to get ideas uh, from this portal of how did other educators use this in the classroom uh, within my grade band. So how does it look in the kindergarten, fifth, you know, eighth or up into the high school level? How, what does that look like? Um, and part of the portal also uh, uh, starts to look at what are material, building materials. So that was really an important feature. Mm-hmm. If we start to look at infrastructure, it's going to make a difference what your building is made out of versus somebody else's building, as well as temperature. Um, so weather is also included in there. So what does it look like outside the the uh, the climate in Ohio is going to affect your energy use uh, different than if you were somewhere in a warmer climate like Florida, right? Those mm-hmm. are going to be very different. So it tries to pull, it does pull together different pieces of data that students can start to uh, manipulate to look at, okay, well, if, if we want to look at uh, modifications over time, uh, we can start to look at our energy usage over time. And and so as as teachers start to to use this, and and we know, for example, that some folks naturally, to Ryan's point earlier, fully understand all the terminology. You get a great science teacher; they're really comfortable. But part of our goal is to not limit energy education as an opportunity for teaching and learning solely to the sciences or solely to math. The natural places, and we see this in the STEM fields and STEM disciplines all the time. Um, Oftentimes, it's very, very difficult for folks to sort of step back and step out a little bit, right? And recognize that there's a fascinating and quite frankly, beautiful opportunity for a lot of that to be fully integrated across. And so we we wanted this tool and this program to be as accessible to the social studies teacher as it was to the science teacher. So how do you really guys accomplish that? I mean, how do we totally get the social studies teacher jazzed about energy and to use that as their case study somehow to teach aspects of social studies or those content standards, as opposed to that musty old textbook. And yes, I did use that term, musty old textbook, sitting um, um, on the shelf. Why, why energy instead of traditional American history? I'm going to get myself in trouble for that, aren't I? <laughs> all right. Makes for a good conversation. Yeah. So I think context is so important in all of this, right? Yeah. So if you can provide context to the information, you can get people you know, excited about the various you know, ways that you can apply that information. So 
science teachers, math teachers, you know, social studies teachers, you know, there's going to be different aspects of this that are going to be more meaningful for some than for others. But at the end of the day, you know, tying that back into things that are, you know, needing to be taught in the classroom and doing it with that relevant, real and experiential um, opportunities. And so I think that uh, the open source nature of what we're doing here and the collaborative nature of, well, if you're part of this program, you're going to be able to gather you know, various different curriculums and share it with your mm-hmm. peers across the country um, really creates an environment that is collaborative. And when we can get you know, people that are going to post materials that you know, may span many different mm-hmm. disciplines, that could be you know, a way for them to apply things in a variety of different classrooms. Right. So um, I think it's, again, all about context. And as we talked about, you know, things like weather, the energy costs, the you know, the impacts of other things that are going on are going to be useful for various, various subject matters uh, and makes that stuff contextual, meaningful. Mm-hmm. So so what happens What happens next? I mean, so as you think about scale, so we're just completing what was a, a two-year, 18-month, really, uh, design and development pilot. And there's more to happen um, with that. But ultimately, for this to truly, truly be meaningful and impactful, it, it has to be scalable, but it also has to be locally accessible. And that, that's an intriguing balance that we often see in efforts that happen in innovative education, right? How do you take great program opportunities? How do you make them broadly accessible? But how do you keep them locally or regionally relevant. So, uh, Kat, I know schools struggle with that and that you hear that all the time. This isn't about us. This isn't about me. So how do you how do you help communities embrace those program opportunities that are bigger and broader than just them as an individual, but apply them back um, and make them meaningful for our students? It's a great question, Annalise, and that is really gets to the heart of what we do with teachers is is talk with our teachers around what is it in your community that you would like to focus on to make it better mm-hmm. so that we're using a tool that may be used nationwide or in another state, but how are we using it for your community? Because we know that not all communities are the same. Not all communities have the same issues or the same cultural lens. And so it's really working with teachers and administrators to find that, to find that context mm-hmm. that makes sense in their community. Uh, so that uh, that's really gets to the heart of what we do with, with teachers is we sit down and we say, okay, what are problems that you want to solve in your community or in your school? What are things that you're passionate about as an educator? What are your students passionate about? What are your students, what do they really love to do? And let's integrate that within units mm-hmm. so that we're pulling all of this together so that the, the energy for learning is really a tool. But really what we're doing is we're, we're, we're solving a problem that makes sense in an individual community. So that when we start to network teachers, the idea is, is that they're pulling ideas from other educators across the country, but they might not be replicating exactly the right. same. Right? We need to be able to tailor our instructional unit so that it, it works for an individual community that it's going to be implemented in. Uh, there's not a one-size-fits-all in education, and we know that. Uh, so how do we identify those problems that make sense in a community? 
Right. And that's absolutely key uh, to the success of any program, um, educational programs in particular. Mm-hmm. So as we, we think about wrapping here, so I always love to um, end these conversations with sort of that, you know, that that big lesson learned or that, that piece that you want to hand over to a teacher or community or another business or industry partner in any local community who's contemplating doing innovative programming, whether it's energy or anything else. You know, what's, what's, what's your passing shot? to those folks as they go down that road. So Ryan, you know, when you're thinking about helping others start something new, what what's the thing that to you is the most meaningful or most powerful piece of that? I always like to tell people that uh, just get started. If you've got an idea with something, you know, just get started. Half the time you spend so much time thinking about all the reasons why you can't do something and you just never get started. So, mm-hmm. you know, I think that step number one, just just get started. And I think then from there, um, you know, be recognize that you will make mistakes and that you will need to iterate on the process mm-hmm. and that it's not going to be, you know, this great plan that then we execute and everything goes swell. It's going to have these, you know, uh, nice iterations along the way. So I think that, uh, you know, when you're looking at doing anything new and innovative and maybe that hasn't been done before, uh, you're going to run into a lot of skepticism. Well, that's never going to work. Or, <laughs> oh, well, they've done that before and, you know, just didn't work out the way that you would expect it to. And I just, you know, I'm a big believer that, you know, for, sometimes, for some things, you just need to try and mm-hmm. try it for yourself and learn it for yourself. So, um, you know, tune out some of that naysaying and the skepticism. And uh, if you really believe in what you're trying to do, and this was one, even for us, that early on, we were told this was silly. Don't mm-hmm. spend your time doing this. You have so many other things you need to be doing, but it was important. Mm-hmm. And we wanted to learn that for ourselves. And we were glad that we pursued it the way that we did. Otherwise, we wouldn't be here today. So I think, you know, anytime you're looking at doing something new, innovative, uh, you just need to get started, you know, learn a lot along the way, ask for feedback and be willing to, you know, revise your plan yeah. as you go. <laughs> revise, revise, and, revise. Revise. Cat. <laughs> and, and not be afraid of failure. I think Absolutely. you made an excellent point there, Ryan. It's the idea of just get started and try something. Get your feet wet. Try it. And it's okay if it doesn't work out the first time mm-hmm. the way that you intended. You're going to learn from that. And not only are you going to learn from that, you're going to make it better the next time. And that's truly what it means to live the design cycle, that design thinking. Let's get started. Let's try something. And we're going to evaluate it and modify it where it makes sense. Absolutely. Well, you know, thank you um, very much to both of you uh, for being on this journey with us, but also uh, for taking time out of your day to have this conversation and to share what you've learned with others. So uh, thank you very much for for being with us and uh, stay tuned to catch the next episode of Learning Unboxed. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for joining us for Learning Unboxed, conversation about teaching, learning, and the future of work. I want to thank my guests and encourage you all to be part of the conversation. Meet me on social media at Annalise Corbin and join me next time as we stand up, step back, and lean in to reimagine education.